This is the CMS Colloquium Podcast, produced by the Comparative Media Studies Program at MIT. For more information about Comparative Media Studies or on the Colloquium series, visit us online at cms.mit.edu. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, welcome back for the uh, first CMS colloquium of spring term. Um, happy to see many additional faces beyond the CMS grad students for this. We love having visitors at our events, and uh, you should make sure you find out about future events that are scheduled and uh, check us out. Next week, we're going to do it at a special date and time on Tuesday. Is it? It's uh, Orchestral? Uh, Tuesday, Tuesday from 6 to 8. Um, there's a special room. 6120. 6120. We have Cory Doctorow, a science fiction writer, boing boing blogger, uh, cyber mm-hmm. activist par excellence, uh, will be sharing some of his latest thinking with us. Uh, Orchestral has been very good at organizing uh, this event. <coughs> And a lot of other stuff coming up coming up this term. Uh, the newsletter is now in February 2006. Uh, I met Brenda at a conference uh, in the fall, and we ended up sharing uh, some space together on a forum that Nerve Magazine did mm-hmm. on the topic of today's talk on sex and games, uh, which is a very interesting discussion. Stephen Johnson, who's spoken with us, uh, was part of that. Eric Zimmerman, some other people. So it's, it's definitely worth checking out that conversation. So based on those experiences, I wanted to make sure that we got grabbed a little time with Brenda before she departed the frozen north for uh, <laughs> the warm southern hospitality of Savannah, Georgia. And uh, so let me turn it over. Uh, hi, everybody. As Henry said, my name is Brenda Brathwaite. Um, I know more about sex and games than I probably ever thought I should. Um, <laughs> and just uh, as a warning, today, is, uh, is just so you know, some of the stuff is potentially graphic. The real graphic stuff, I'll warn you ahead of time. Um, hopefully, if I remember. I, I'm a little desensitized, I think, at this point. Um, anyway, uh, so disclaimer number one. This is the fancy way of saying I just lifted everything. Um, and number two, this is what I just said. So th- I get th- this question amused me, because I thought like it was asked once, and then it was asked no less than ten times. Um, why are you going to MIT to talk about sex? <laughs> and uh, to which, you know, I responded, basically, like everybody, everybody likes sex, you know, just because they're going to MIT does not mean that they do not have an interest in sex. Um, so when it comes to games, like, originally, when I first got into this topic, when I went to think about what sex in video games was, I always thought of people like Laura Croft, and had no idea that it was as huge a topic as it actually is. Um, on the IGDA Sex Sig blog, this is how we define uh, what sex can possibly be in a game. You know, it's everything from, as you'll see, you know, it's everything from The Sims, where people fall in love, to the really hardcore stuff that's out there. Um, so, just starting with the history of sex in video games, it all goes back to around 1971. <laughs> um, and, you know, although it seems like a joke, a lot of people made reference to this as a penis. Right? You know, they would say, oh, the joystick, it's shaped just like a penis and whatever. Maybe there were other ways that it could have, be, could have been done. And this may have all just gone into forgotten lore if, uh, oh, well, sorry, let me, let me just point this part out. So we get the joysticks as they evolve, and now we get to this guy, which is called the Thrustmaster. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm sure not named that way for any particular reason. Um, now, uh, 
<laughs> Noel Bushnell, the guy who founded um, Atari and also the Chuck E. Cheese guy, he created this game called Gotcha, and these are, these are not trackballs. These are squishy mounds that one manipulates for this game. And notice their see-through skirt. They have special powers, I guess. Um, <laughs> anyway, this was a terrible failure, and he's actually admitted in interviews that these were sort of created as a joke. Like, if the penis could work as a, as a joystick, maybe breasts could work, too. Um, and obviously, the breasts never stayed around. Um, around 1981... Uh, we get the, what I consider to be, I mean, there were probably others. In fact, I know there were others. But there was lots of independent games that one really can't go, oh, that was the first sex game. So I'd say that this probably was the first mass market sex game. Um, Roberta Williams is probably not thrilled that I point out that that is her. You know, she was the, uh, one of the founders of Sierra Online. And this was one of their, you know, you don't think of porn and Sierra Online together, but this was one of their very first products, Mystery House. And in their corporate history, they tend to skip over Soft Porn Adventure, but it followed Mystery House. Anyway, Soft Porn Adventure, it's interesting to note that this game, it was horrible. It was cheesy. I don't know if any of you have played it. It was just wretched. And it ended up, but it was serious. It was kind of like Rocky Horror Picture Show of games. It really wanted to be something, um, but, it, it, but it wasn't. Um, and uh, actually, I, 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 well, I'll tell you in a minute what it leads to. But Leather Goddess of Phobos, this game actually started in, uh, here in Massachusetts, here in Cambridge. Um, Infocom had this, uh, it, it was like a, a tic-tac-toe thing, nine different, nine different squares where they had games written in. And Steve Moretzky, number nine was open, and they were having some bigwigs through. So Steve Moretzky just went in and wrote Leather Goddesses of Phobos. The game didn't even exist. <laughs> right? Somebody was horrified, so the CEO was utterly horrified to see that they were erased it, but they never forgot the name, and eventually they made a game out of it. So, you know, the game, <laughs> the game actually comes from the name. Leisure Suit Larry is what soft porn adventure evolved into. So this basically said, just let's be cheesy and let's have fun with it. And, you know, and Larry is probably still one of the most loved um, video game characters around for, you know, for old-time gamers. Um, so off the, off the, uh, the mainstream market, the, as I said, you know, the, the independent games, those were going wild. Who knows? You know, there was probably somebody figuring out how to do something funky with ASCII back on the Commodore 64. But there were all kinds of games going on. I mean, just tons, hundreds of games. When, when I started my book, I had this original and quite ridiculous goal. I didn't know it was ridiculous at the time, that I was going to document every single game ever made with sex in it. <laughs> right? And so I just had this pile, and it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger of these index cards before I finally realized this was absolutely silly. Um, now, FMV was a, was a low point for gaming. When it first showed up, it was wonderful. You know, we wow, isn't that awesome? But wow, what a low point it was. And that also is what I consider to be possibly the low point of names for games, <laughs> a puzzle of flesh. Anyway, so when FMV came out, it was incredible because the porn studios thought, wow, you know, we have all this footage. And if we could just get the footage together with computer games, we could resell all of our stuff again and make a ton of money. And it's not surprising, if any of you guys have dabbled in game design, you know, it's, it's not at all surprising when you think about it. When somebody's watching porn, they don't want to have their hands on a keyboard or a mouse or anything else. So it turns out that interruptible porn that required clicks was not a big hit. Um, so then we get to Laura Croft. And, you know, it's funny because I remember her so much differently than that picture from 1996. I remember when she first came out, she was like, the sexiest thing in games. Oh, wow, Laura, <laughs> you look at her now. It's like, <laughs> but anyway, you know, the very dangerous breasts. Um, 
so Laura, Laura Croft was, was, you know, she, she really started this idea of, you know, super sexy babes in video games. Um, so the clothing came off, uh, you know, and these are all characters from video games, and it's still going on today. And girls, you know, it's, it's not just women in games that have the clothes off. There's lots of guys in games, too, but I didn't get a screenshot of those, although I, although I will at some point. Um, so we start to see now The Sims, you know, when it comes out, they, they take a different angle. Instead of just pure sex, like, let's show breasts and see if that impresses people, this is all about relationship development and... Uh, well, I'm sure probably most of the people in the room who played the game are familiar with the game. And Tom Cruise was also, as you can see, he's on this side. He was in the game, evidently. Um, and now we start to see, so now we got relationship development. So they mix sex back in. You know, we had games like Playboy, you know, and that was about relationship development and sex. The singles, same thing. And then we get sex and humor. Um, BMX XXX was not supposed to be funny. But if you play the game, BMX Triple X is very funny. Um, and these were all games, an example of you know, sex and humor. And that works really well together. If you think back to Leisure Suit Larry, Leather Goddesses of Phobos, if you can mix sex with humor, it's okay. Um, if, you know, sex on its own, when it's trying to be hot in the game, not so much. It doesn't really work. Um, today's games, these are a couple games that have sexual content in them that work really well. God of War, absolutely brilliant. It's not trying to be sensational. It's not trying to say, woo, we've got sex in our game. It's a brilliant game and there happens to be a sex scene in it. Very similar to uh, Indigo Prophecy, Fahrenheit, depending on which side. That also has you know, a, a sex scene in it. If you get the UK version, they sanitized it for the US version, which is actually fairly common um, in video games. Uh, so the types, types of sex in games. Now, the first kind we have, and my friend, they actually make this in Waltham, and my friend is the lead designer on Zoo Tycoon and is horrified that this is in my presentation. <laughs> <laughs> but Zoo Tycoon is all about sex. You don't see it. It's fully abstracted, but those animals have to be happy and well-fed, and if they're happy and well-fed and they have good cages and they get mates, babies just show up. <laughs> but it is. It's all about sex. It's fully abstracted sex. But here we have family-friendly sex in The Sims, as I've already mentioned. Um, educational kids. Now this game, this was used by UNICEF, believe it or not. UNICEF created this game in Sweden. I mean, none of these things that you're going to see are from America. I mean, let's just, let's just, I mean, they're just not. Um, so this is a, this was to promote um, HIV awareness. Um, the mating game, uh, you know, this is a, this is, I mean, it, you, you don't see anything hot, so to speak, in this game. But this is something that PBS did. Um, you know, just to increase uh, awareness of evolution and that sort of stuff. Um, hentai games, boy, these are really, really popular, really famous. In, uh, in Japan, I've heard rumors anywhere from they take up 20 to 80% of the store space. Um, and I have no idea because I can't fly to Japan, and even if I could, I couldn't count what the heck they were. <laughs> anyway, so, but I do know they're really popular, and they're increasingly popular in America, particularly with, you know, the boom in anime lately. Um, strip games, boy, these go way, way, way back. Uh, this, I've got a more modern one here, and I mean, this one's from 2000, but they all look the same. Uh, and that's an idea of what one looked like way back in 81. All right, these are, this is another category. I just want to say, poke the doll is not my term. <laughs> all right? But this is, this is a, ge a general term that people use in this industry. Uh, this was the first poke the doll game. You know, it's basically a blow-up doll, and you get toys. Now, this particular image up there is from Virtually Jenna, and it will be full screen in, like, just a second. So I want to warn you um, <laughs> that it's coming. 
So this is from Virtually Jenna, Jenna Jameson's game. I can't believe I'm showing this at MIT. <laughs> Woo! Anyway, <laughs> so this is Jenna Jameson's game, which, uh, you know, she actually, she's a huge crossover star. You know, she was the first porn star, really. I mean, people know who Ron Jeremy is. They know who John Holmes is. But Jenna Jameson is the first porn star to really make it into the sort of mainstream, at least the vernacular mainstream. Um, so, you know, it's not surprising at all that she came out with uh, a sex video game first. Um, hardware, now this is interesting, this is a case of emergent sex. Um, now what I mean by emergent sex is there's, you know, emergent behavior. Well, clearly, maybe, these people did not mean for their res vibrator trance device thing to be used as an actual vibrator. Um, but Game Girl Advance, the website from which that picture comes, um, they did this whole story which is still silly popular on the internet. Um, about this particular thing, and it vibrates. I mean, you, you know the PlayStation vibrator, or <laughs> the PlayStation, <laughs> the, the, the PlayStation um, controller vibrates. Well, this thing vibrates apparently like three and a half times, <laughs> and it was supposed to be a trance music shooter. I've played it. It's really odd. I mean, it's sort of like this funky, bizarre genre. But anyway, this is really famous in sex and games history. Now, this is stuff that's intended to be sexual. Um, now, there are actual games that are made to go with these things. You can one for the woman, one for the guy, um, where your partner can please you or you can please your partner remotely. Um, and there's this whole field called teledildonics. Um, and teledildonics is, I mean, it's been around for like 20 years, but some people are actually taking interest in it, serious interest in, you know, financial interest in it now because of broadband. Um, advertising, boy, this is everywhere. You know, every time, like, I... I Decided to look around to see if I could find some more games, and there's just a gazillion of them. I mean, that up there is an, uh, an example of a game that The Gap has. Uh, busted Milwaukee's game, basically, if this guy, you know, if she catches him looking at her breast, then he gets smashed by a can of Milwaukee's best. Um, <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of games. If you go on to almost any, any uh, condom site, they've got a game. You know, and, and even KY uh, Lubricant has a game where they have, like, a little shooter, and instead of shooting bullets, it shoots KY Jelly. I mean, it's everywhere, you know, sex and advertising games. Um, cell phone games, wow, this has just exploded in the last year. Exploded. There are, holy cow, I would say at least 50 that I'm aware of, and that's without even looking. Uh, people just send this sort of stuff to me all the time. So cell phones is huge. Um, indie games, boy, we've got indie games, indie games, indie games. I mean, you could, when, when you... Um, when I, I had this idea when I started the IGDA sex sig that I was going to put up a link of the day, and about eight days into it, it occurred to me that that meant 365 links over the course of a year. I'm pretty smart. Um, and so I thought, holy cow, I'm going to run out. I'm going to run out maybe a month in, and I am so not in danger of running out. I mean, I'm just not. People make these things faster than I can, than I can do anything. I mean, all they have to do is just take any game mechanic and make nudity the reward. And it works for every single game. It's the easiest thing to put into a game. Um, indie games also have, you know, what, I, what you saw in the previous scheme, screen wasn't nearly like a full production game. Here's an example of two that are full production games. And Dream Stripper actually is funding, it, it's funding another game. Oh, I forget the name of it. But anyway, people are actually using sexing games to fund their traditional game development. And this Love Chess one, this just came out like a week ago. Um, and it's a really popular game, and as you can see, basically, it's not the old form of checkmate. Um, now, mods, boy, mods are everywhere. Uh, you're probably familiar with a really famous mod, the hot coffee mod, but here's just another couple uh, of mods, you know, from The Sims 2, Britney's Dance Beat, 
Basically, if you leave exposed PC files, it will be modded. That's just, it will be modded, and there's just no doubt about that. So controversy, Custer's Revenge. Um, yeah, Custer's Revenge came out in 1981. Huge controversy. Now you can see here in the, in the box, the woman is tied to a post. So basically, if Custer makes it through the Hail of Arrows, he gets to have his way with this tied-up Native American woman. So basically, he rapes a Native American woman. So this is how Sex and Games kind of gets its start. It's, not, it's probably the worst way to start that you can possibly start. There were demonstrations in New York. People will still bring the game up to this day. Now, ironically, it was a wretched game. It was a wretched game. Nobody ever talks about the gameplay. It would have been forgotten along with 100 other horrible products for the Atari 2600. Um, but because of the rape, it, it absolutely wasn't. Night Trap, which I showed you earlier in the FMV thing. Now, this game wouldn't have been nearly as uh, incendiary if it hadn't have occurred at the same time as Mortal Kombat. Now, if you remember the Mortal Kombat, they ripped his heart out. It was, you know, looking back now, it was really pretty tame. It was maybe, you know, all of 10 pixels of heart. But, um, <laughs> but because the two came out together, it was one of the very first waves of, oh, my God, sex and violence in video games. And we've had, we're, you know, we're in another wave of, oh, my God, sex and violence in video games. And there have been, I think, three or four waves. But this was the first wave of, oh, my God, sex and violence in video games. Um, oh, and I should say, that one also led to the formation. That whole thing led to the formation of... Uh, I guess the Festival of Acronyms, there was the IGDA that came out of that, the ESRB came out of it, the ESA came out of it, Entertainment Software Association, the Game Developers Association, so in the congressional hearings. So it was really a big deal. Um, Leisure Suit Larry, uh, even though it was funny and even though it really was pretty tame, there were some laws in California called the Leisure Suit Larry laws where they actually tried to ban uh, games with sexual content. Oh, this is a great one, Simcopter. Basically what happened, there was this group called Artmark. Um, and the story came out over the course of a year and reported differently each time. But Artmark basically was paying people for acts of corporate sabotage. And they would take somebody's money. Somebody would come to Artmark and say, we're ticked off. And in this case, they said, we're ticked off because all it is is white straight people in video games. We would like to see somebody gay in a video game. So this programmer, for five grand, put in gay guys into Himcopter. And you can see these guys are in their little Speedos. And they would show up more on this, this guy's birthday, more on Friday the 13th. And when you went near one of these characters, you would be forced to kiss them, and they would kiss you back. And so there could be like hundreds of these guys on the screen forcing them to kiss you. Anyway, apparently Will Wright found out about it, and he fired the guy very shortly after, but the guy got his $5,000. <laughs> um, Grand Theft Auto, this is a, another case of emergent sex. Well, actually, the sex wasn't emergent, but the, the, the whole thing that surrounded it was... Basically, in GTA, as you probably know, if you kill somebody, you get their money. So if you have sex with a hooker, your money goes into her inventory. If you kill her, you get it back. Now, the two of those things put together with Hillary Clinton means that <laughs> if you kill a prostitute, you can have sex with a prostitute and kill her and get your money back. So this created and still creates a phenomenal amount of controversy. Um, the guy game, it was just, you know, this, this thing sort of came woo up and then crashed. Uh, but the guy game had an underage participant in it. And so, you know, they're actually using it now to their benefit. Like, oh, it was too bad for them, but we're releasing our stuff on the... Anyway, um, this is um, hot coffee. I mean, if, hopefully everybody knows about it. You're probably sick to death of hearing about hot coffee. So we'll just... Hot coffee happened. There it is. Um, so uh, it's not... This isn't the first time, though. I mean, video games, you know, as much as people, particularly in the industry, are all like, oh, gosh, it's all us, it's not. The comics code went through this sort of stuff back in the 1950s. Um, it's same thing. It was going to, you know, cause it was going to make kids, you know, crazy, wild, sexually violent people. Um, 
you know, so this is, all of those things are actually out of the comics code. Um, the Hayes code, you know, th this is what films went through. Uh, you know, it's, you know, no, no different, the, you know, to stimulate the lower and baser element. Um, always trying to protect people. So it's no different with films. You know, when you think about Scarface as compared to the Hayes Code, or, you know, any of several other movies. Um, and basically what we're finding, or at least what I'm finding, is that this is just the standard old cycle. Uh, video games are the latest one on the plate. But everybody's gone through this, you know, and although we really haven't come up with anything new sexually, you know, maybe the last few thousand years, nonetheless, every time a new piece of technology comes out, it is, you know, people get very anxious about what's going to happen with it. Um, a lot of people say this. Uh, you'll see this in the media a lot. And it's not true. But the fact that people believe video games are for kids is what leads a lo fuels a lot of this controversy, a lot of this anger. With the hot coffee thing that I said I wasn't going to talk about, you'll read, a, you'll read tons of... I mean, if you did read a ton of press on it, so many people talk about, these video games are made for kids. Now, what's ironic is they're upset about the pornographic scene, but not about the hookers and the killing people and the clubbing people and the batting people and all this other stuff. Um, that, that it's okay. I mean, that's one of the things that I get most incensed about and how I end up on these panels about censorship is that, that we have a right. I mean, you don't have to play it. And maybe I don't want to have it all in my game. But don't tell me that I can't have sexual content in my game and that video games are for kids because they're not just for kids.